kind of heavy. Well, we are going to uh, look at some some pictures that are going to give us some partial glimpses of something bigger. So uh, Heather's going to show up a, a picture. I'm just going to ask, can you recognize what it is? So let's just get on. Can you recognize what that is? The what? Okay, the, the Oregon Mountain. Okay, um, does that tell you what the big picture is? Uh, let's go on to the next slide. How about that one? Anybody know what that is? Okay, how about the next one? Okay, any clue? Uh, no, but that's a good guess. How, how, how about the next slide? Any idea? Yeah, yeah, Heather, you're cheating because you know what the last... All right, uh, is the last one the final one? Yes. Okay, uh, before you go there... Oh, no, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, let's see, it's it just pictures and close-ups of our church van. And sometimes when you see only a partial thing, you miss the big picture, right? And But we're going we're gonna to change our focus off of a thing but now focus on a person. And I want to ask you, do you ever recognize Jesus in the Old Testament? See, you see bits and glimpses of Jesus in the Old Testament, but you don't get the composite until he takes on flesh. But you see Jesus in the Old Testament, which is just this huge philosophical and theological important thing. Because God didn't just show up 2,000 years ago. He has been orchestrating a redemption plan since the beginning of Adam and Eve being in the garden. And so the Old Testament gives us these partial glimpses of Jesus. And I want to go over some of those things. So the very first fill in the blank in your outline is this. God has been here before. God has been here before. God shows up in the Old Testament visiting people, and when that happens, it is called a theophany. Say that. That's fun to say. Theophany. Theophany. And theo, meaning God, and ophany, meaning to appear, or symphony, meaning music's going to appear. Uh, a theophany means that God is appearing. In fact, I have a slide that actually describes a theophany. A theophany is a visible manifestation of God usually restricted to the Old Testament, okay? When God shows up in the Old Testament, it's always going to be Jesus because Scripture says that God is spirit. And so, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and so Jesus is the incarnation. Anytime God shows up on earth, it's going to be a theophany. And uh, there are th three different ways he has shown up. This is n not really uh, a fill in the blank, but here are the three ways. First of all, God appears in dreams. Do you remember that from your Old Testament? Um, God came to Abimelech. Abimelech was a king, and he had taken Sarai into his harem, and he was about to sleep with her, and God appears to Abimelech in a dream, and he says, hey, uh, I'll just read it. God came to Abimelech and said, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman you have taken, for she is another man's wife. And Abimelech says, I, I didn't know that. He told me she was his sister. And he said, I know. I kept you from touching her, 
but he's a prophet and you better bless him and give him back his wife. Okay, that's one dream. How about the Jacob's ladder? Remember Jacob is going into uh, really the Babylonia area again, Mesopotamia area again. He's going to go find Rachel, but he has this dream and he sees this ladder extending from heaven to earth and the angels are going up and down on it. And it says this, behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and the angels of God were ascending and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac and I'm going to give you the land in which you lie on. And the second way God reveals himself besides dreams is visions. And so um, remember when in chapter 15 of Genesis, God appears to uh, Abraham in a vision. And it says, fear not, Abraham, I am your shield and your reward will be great. But Abram said, oh God, Lord, what will you give me? For I continue to be childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer from Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring. And the Lord said, This man will not be your heir, but you shall have your own son as your heir. That was a vision. Another way that God has revealed himself in the Old Testament was through the appearance of an angel. This is where we really are getting close to the idea of a theophany. In Genesis 22, uh, when Abraham is about to sacrifice Isaac because he was asked to, I'll just read you the passage out of Genesis 22, but the angel of the Lord called from him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or even do any harm to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you not have withheld your only son your only son from me. And Abraham looked up and lifted his eyes and saw a ram caught in the thicket. And Abraham offered uh, up to the Lord that. And again, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham and he said, by myself, I have sworn. So here's it is. The angel is swearing by himself. Now the, the term angel is just a generic word for messenger. So God is swearing by himself. That's why it's considered a theophany. Anytime an angel is making statements that are only reserved for God, then you know it's a theophany. It's, it's basically Jesus in the Old Testament. And so he swears by himself, declares to the Lord that you have not withheld your son, that he's going to bless him. And then also when he goes to wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah, remember the three visitors show up at his tent? And then the two angels leave, but one stands behind. And God says, should I keep this from Abraham? And Abraham has this dialogue with this being. And guess who that is? That's a theophany. That's Jesus. So, so we see that, that the attributes of a, a, of a theophany, um, and, uh, let me see. let's go to the next slide. The attributes of a theophany are, are these. The messenger of the Lord, again, has the exact same characteristics or attributes of God himself. And other times we see the angel of Yahweh. When Hagar runs away from Sarah, Jacob wrestles with an angel in the middle of the night. 
Abraham is told to be circumcised. Yeah, I'd wait till God told me to do that too, right? <laughs> You're like, ah, let's do that. Gideon, Moses, uh, Moses in the burning bush, Moses, uh, Joshua and the commander of the Lord's army, Elijah running from Jezebel and is refreshed and strengthened by the angel of the Lord. See, God is showing up all the time in the Old Testament. And the messenger of Yahweh is oftentimes worshipped in those instances. And nobody stops them. Now, those are names only given to God. And so we can say, wow, Jesus was in the Old Testament. And here's why a theophany is always Jesus. Because John 1.18 says this, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, and he has made himself known. Only Jesus can make the Father known. Are you with me on that? Maybe I'm beating a dead horse and you already understand all that, but I think it's important to set up the, the premise that we're going with here, okay? So only God the Son could be visible to man. And as the angel of the Lord is the sent one, he's also being the sender is God the Father. And God the Spirit does not appear bodily. Even when the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus as baptism, it, does, it says it, he appeared like a, a dove. Or on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down, it was in an appearance of what? Fire. Right? Fire. So God has been here before in the Old Testament, a pre-incarnate Christ, revealing truth, leading Israel, defending Israel, judging Israel, so Jesus has been here before, but not everybody recognized him because he wasn't revealed to that many people. So here's the second fill in the blank. Some did not recognize Jesus 2,000 years ago. Some did not recognize God 2,000 years ago. And we know from 1 John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only uh, Son of the Father. So the theological term for God the Son taking on human flesh is the word incarnation. You've heard it before. It's a fancy word that means that God took on flesh, and that person is known as Jesus. And so here's the next slide, and that is this. The incarnation is God the Son taking on human flesh without diminishing his divine nature. I know this is all kind of basic, but we're all leading to a point. Philippians chapter 2 says this, Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, not mentally, but to hang on to. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And I don't know if you remember when when Philip, good old Philip, he says, show us, show us the Father, Jesus. And Jesus turns around to him and says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Why? Because Jesus is the physical representation of God because he is God. Does that make sense? Okay. Now we get to our text. And I need you to turn to Luke chapter 19. Now, I'm warning you in advance, we're not going to dig into the text like we normally do. We're going to look at it from the 30,000 foot level. When you're at 30,000 foot level, you can see a whole bunch of more stuff without getting lost in the minutiae or the details. And for this one, because you have heard this sermon a hundred times. Well, probably that's a hyperbole or a little exaggeration, but it's a triumphal entry. 
How many times have you, you heard or, or, or heard sermons or read about the triumphal entry? You know the story. So we're going to read the story, and then we're going to kind of pick it apart at that 30,000-foot level. Let's, let's begin at verse 28 of chapter 19 in Luke. When he had said these things, he went on ahead. Remember, we left him and with Zacchaeus and the parable of the, the Minas. He said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he said two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away uh, went away and found it just as it had been told them. Verse 33, and as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying my property? Why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, throwing their cloaks on the colt, and they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down, the Mount of Olives, which is 2,600 feet uh, elevation, coming down now into Jerusalem. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. It's Palm Sunday. It's a triumphal entry. But by week's end, they had entirely missed God's coming. They were looking for a savior. They're looking for a deliverer, but they had missed God himself. And so here's the third fill in the blank. And that is some still miss God today. They're missing God today. Jesus was in the Old Testament, but not that many saw him. Jesus takes on flesh 2,000 years ago, but, and there were many that saw him, but they did not recognize him. God has always been with man. But look at this next slide that I want you to read with me silently on your part. Jesus has always been with man. We have had theophanies, and then we have had the incarnation, but now we have the body of Christ. So when we, when we had the theophanies, a few people saw him. When we had the incarnation, the whole nation of Israel saw him, but what he left behind was his word, right? The word became flesh, and, and then we beheld the word, and there were eyewitness testimonies that spoke of the word and wrote of the word, and that's what the entire New Testament is about. It is Jesus come in the flesh, but it is recorded testimonies and eyewitness accounts of who Jesus is. But not only do we have that now still with us, we have the body of Christ with us. And it is through the body of Christ 
that the world sees Jesus. I, I hope that, that may be a new revelation to you, or at least an old one that's being renewed. And that is a non-believing person is not going to pick up the Bible to read it to find God. But when they see you living your life, what we said last week, Living the gospel spreads the gospel. When you are having transformation happen in your life, it affects the entire world. You become salt. You become light. And so the way Jesus is still in the world, Old Testament theophanies, period of time, Jesus is here physically, and now the body of Christ is here. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. And the world is going to find Jesus through us. Now Jesus... Even in, in Acts chapter 9, remember the conversion of, of Saul to Paul? He's walking down the road. He's on his way to persecute the Christians. Maybe he's going to Nigeria like we saw. You know, he's going he's gonna to set those people straight. He's going to haul them off to jail. He's going to take their children away from them. He's going to take their livelihood away from them. He may even have them tortured. And suddenly, Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up. It's not a theophany now. Now we know his name. Before we didn't know his name, but now we know it's Jesus because the text says this. A light came from heaven and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my church? He doesn't say that. He says, why are you persecuting me? See, the church is the body of Christ. And he says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. See, Jesus lives inside his church. He lives inside his people. John 15, we talked briefly about last week. I am, I am the vine, you are the branch. Uh, abide in me and I in you. And so Palm Sunday is the day that Jesus triumphantly entered Jerusalem. But in reality, he's still entering Today, he's making triumphant entries into people's lives today because Jesus is here in the church. We're the hands and feet of Jesus. We have the word and we have the body of Christ. Abandon the word when churches, let me say this clearly, when churches abandon the word, they're no longer the body of Christ. They're an adulterated version of something that maybe they once were in a time gone by. And therefore, they no longer represent Christ when they have abandoned the word. And we're seeing so many churches today out of wokeness, out of the culture, out of all of the pressure, or out of the things that we'll talk about in a moment. They have abandoned Christ. The word is still there. They still may own Bibles there, but they don't open the Bible, and they don't teach the Bible, and they don't live the Bible. Are you with me on that? Anyone? 2,000 years ago, people missed Jesus, and people are still missing Jesus today. And whether it was 2,000 years ago or last week, some of the reasons why people miss the coming of the King into their lives is the same. Did you hear that? The same reasons they missed him 2,000 years ago are the same reasons people miss him today. And that's really where I want to go with this because we've heard the story. We know the triumphal entry. We know that there was a, a, a donkey and a colt and, and uh, the colt was brand new, had never been written on. And so therefore the mama 
beast had to, to be with the, the young one that had never been written on, and they're going into Jerusalem. But I want to explore four reasons why people still miss God. And here's the first reason, in my estimation, and that is people are blinded by wrong expectations. The nation of Israel wanted a king riding in on a war horse. The Old Testament tells us that when a king came in on a, on a horse, that meant war. If a king came into town on a donkey, that meant peace. That's in the Old Testament. In the nation of Israel, they knew that. And Jesus comes in, not on a steed, not on a war horse. He's coming in on a donkey. But they weren't expecting that. People today are looking for a God that requires nothing of them. Can I say that again? People today are looking for a God that requires nothing of them, a God who has no standard of righteousness, a God who produces no guilt, no conviction, but makes you feel good about yourself. They're looking for a God that only blesses, only gives, only encourages. They don't want a God that will correct or rebuke or punish, even when it's for their own good. This Jesus commands us to die to self, not forsake the assembly of the church, to build his kingdom with our time, our talent, and our treasure. He exposes our need for constant renewal, constant cleansing, constant forgiveness, constant restoration, but constant transformation. People want a God that will bail them out, but never takes them to court. Isn't that funny? Let me say that again. People want a God who will bail them out but never makes them go to court. Isn't that what happens when you get bail? you got to eventually go to court, right? So many times we are, God, bail me out, bail me out, bail me out of my bad decision, bail me out of my sin, bail me out of my dysfunction, bail me out of my stinking thinking, bail me out, bail me out, bail me out. God does, he shows up, but then we never go to court. And that's where we learn our lesson. That's where transformation changes. Our decisions have consequences, but God causes all things to work together, and that's why people want a God that will bail them out, but they never want to go to court. And God says, no, I love you too much to leave you the way you are. And so people, they come to church, but they miss, they miss seeing Jesus because they focus maybe on our failings, maybe on the pastor's failings, maybe on the guy that's sitting next to them or the woman that's sitting next to them, and they miss Jesus because the church isn't perfect. Say amen to that. But we understand that. you know. But the church is saying, well, you, you don't live up to the standard that I thought you were supposed to, so I'm just walking away. People who come to Jesus think that he's like some genie in the lamp, some buddy, some lucky charm, quickly turn on him when their expectations do not come to pass like they did 2,000 years ago. And then number two is this, why people miss Jesus is they're blinded by context. And, or what I would add to that is um, they're blinded by personal experience. They're blinded by this filter that they have on and they only see life from their context. They're only, they only see life from their perspective. They only see life from their circumstances. Well, Jesus didn't heal my child. Well, he might not have. But you can't base your decision on God 
on a personal experience that you have no idea why or what happened because of the why. Or God didn't save my marriage. Well, you can't blame God and then be upset with him. Well, he didn't mean my, uh, you know, my, my, uh, uh, my, pers my perspective is, is God failed me. Or God didn't get me that new job. And they don't see what the big picture of life is about. Or, or all they can see is life from their circumstances. Life is all about them. And they miss Jesus because Jesus will always draw you out of your selfishness. Say that with me. Jesus will always draw you out of your selfishness. He will never draw you into your selfishness. But when you view God through your lens of personal experience, then, and he doesn't meet those expectations, or you are blinded by the context of what's really going on in the world, but from your perspective, God's failed you. He has not failed you. They miss Jesus. And this is where faith is tested, when you still believe his, in his goodness even when things aren't going right, when it is not right in your context or your personal experiences or your circumstances. Because your faith has to move from your personal experiences to the Word of God. Some people come to Christ because they have a miraculous experience, right? But that experience has to be supplanted by the Word of God because God's not always going to show up and do the miraculous for you. Now, He does from time to time because God is in this world doing things. But, our word, but the Word is what it is. And people miss Jesus because they don't have eyes of faith and they're blinded by their circumstances. You know, I, I, can't, get, I, I can't get my life together right and and they can't see that God is actually in there working you know I, I don't know if you remember when what the the Pharisees said to Jesus on the cross he said heal ye healed others heal yourself get down from that cross and we'll believe see they're blinded by context that they, they do not understand and here's the third reason why people miss Jesus they're blinded by pride that's the next fill of like Blinded by pride. And maybe the biggest re reason the religious leaders miss God was because of their pride. Maybe the largest reason today people miss Jesus is because of their pride. The same reason. Because humanism, which is so pervasive in our culture, says that we're the top of the food chain. We don't need God because we can figure this out on our own. That's what humanism is. And yet the Bible teaches us that we have a sinful nature and we got to guard against that. Some people don't think their sin stinks. Can you say that? My sin stinks. My sin stinks. It does. But with moral relativism, it doesn't stink anymore because we poured so much perfume on it, we think that it doesn't smell. Now it reeks, right? Yes, it reeks now. And unfortunately, a lot of people believe this in America, at least in my experience. Again, I'm talking my experience. I'm differentiating between the word, and, but I think it lines up. And that is they have a belief out there that only the people who are screwed up need church. 
Have you found that to be true? Oh, you're one of those. I don't know if you've ever heard those words. Oh, you're one of those. And the telling thing is, is they think you're messed up and that's why you have to go to church because they're doing fine on their own. What's that? That's pride. This is pride. Or look at, look at evolution for just a moment. You know, evolution is a faith-based religion. Because empirical science says we can study it, we can repeat it, we can observe it. That's science. That's true empirical science. Evolution is based on what is called forensic science. It's forensic. There's a crime scene, and you have to try to piece together what happened. So you can look at the Grand Canyon, and you say, Aha! Billions of years for the Colorado River to make the Grand Canyon. Or you can come with faith in God that says, Aha! There is evidence of Noah's flood. You know, And pre, that, that's why evolution is not true science. It's forensic science based on just the evidence we have. That's why when Mount St. Helens blew its top 25, 30 years ago, how many of you remember that? Boom! Blew up. You know it made a small Grand Canyon within, uh, from Spirit Lake? Within a year, it made a Grand Canyon within one year, not millions and millions and millions. And so the same geological formations that we find at the Grand Canyon are identical to the ones that we find at Spirit Lake and at Mount St. Helens. And you go, okay, which, which is the forensic evidence that's actually pointing to the truth? Creation or evolution of being billions and billions and billions? I mean, remember what... Now I'm going on a little tear, sorry. But let me just say this. Evolution is based on death. And the Bible said that death did not enter into the world until sin. So God cannot have used evolution in the creation process if his word is going to hold true. His word says there was no death until sin. And it requires death and the regeneration of species. So it's either you believe in creation or you believe in evolution, but I just want to set the record straight. Evolution is not empirical science. It is based on forensic science and we all are looking at the same evidence and we're coming to different conclusions. That's why our position is faith-based out of Hebrews. It says God created the world and evolution is Faith-based. Okay. So it is pride. Because if you admit that there is a God, then you're no longer on top of the food chain. You're no longer top of the, of the pinnacle. And you have to receive him as your author, uh, ultimate authority, not yourself. Uh, some people will say, God didn't make any of this. The only thing made up around here is the idea that there's a God. You know how arrogant that is? But see, again, they're basing it on their own experience instead of the Word of God. Some people believe that they're too good for church because church is just for losers because it helps them to cope. So if you go to church, in some people's minds, you are, am I doing it right? Is there now? You're a loser. Because only losers go to church because you need help. They don't need help. 
And again, it comes back to pride. And the religious leader's pride kept them from seeing Jesus. And you can see today that the irreligious, let me put it that way, their pride keeps them from seeing Jesus. They're not looking for a Savior because they don't need a Savior. Right? You only need a Savior if you need a Savior. But if you don't need a Savior, then why are you looking for one? And number four is this, blinded by familiarity. Blinded by familiarity. In John chapter 6, it says this, They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say he's come down from heaven? And Jesus says, Guys, I'm, I'm the bread of heaven that came down. And if you don't eat of my blood or eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, I have no part. And it says at that time, many of the disciples turned away from him and they turned to the 12 and he says, do you guys want to leave too? And this is one of Peter's fine moments. He steps up to the plate and he says, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life and you are the Holy One of God. So even when Jesus gives you a hard teaching in this, it doesn't mean we turn away, uh, turn away because we don't like it or it's become familiar to us and we can't accept it as the word of God, but just the teachings of men. They thought they knew who Jesus was, but they never really, I'll use this word, try him. And I'm using that word because when I, I use a famous quote by G.K. Chesterton. He was a, a prolific writer and somewhat of a Christian apologetic uh, in, the, in the late 20s, 30s uh, of this past century. But he said this, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. People think they know Jesus, who Jesus is because his name has become familiar. They think they've tasted him, they've seen movies, they've seen movies that are inaccurate, they've seen Hollywood, they've seen slanderous things about Christians. They don't understand him. He's the living water. He's the bread of life. And so the king has come. And on Sunday, it was fun. It was really fun. But on Friday, the fickle crowd had turned and were screaming for Jesus's head, his death. Palm Sunday, the triumphal coming of the king happens every day when the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus goes out into the world. I don't want to say who you are in the story, but you're the donkey. You're the colt. I'm the colt. I'm carrying Jesus, his triumphal entry into other people's lives by carrying him in me and carrying you carrying Jesus. You are the carrier of bringing his triumphant, triumphal entry into someone's life. Now, let me say it this way, just because all will not be saved don't, doesn't stop us from trying to save some. Or let me say it again, because, just because all will not be saved doesn't stop us from trying to save all. Better wording. Because you are bringing a triumphant Christ into people's lives. And the four reasons for rejection are still valid today, but you have a chance to address those with other people. Jesus was writing and humbly proclaiming peace. That means that you do turn the other cheek, right? You're the bigger person in the relationship. And when your neighbor treats you wrong, you treat them right. 
um, it means that your love covers a multitude of sin and you don't broadcast somebody else's sin. It means that you, you stand for your convictions even when the mob is against you. It means you are really loving your neighbor as yourself. It means that you aren't the first thought and the filter in, in your life, that you go through life being others oriented. See, when you are carrying Christ into someone's life, you are bringing somebody peace and the triumphal entry of Jesus into their lives. And so Palm Sunday happens every day when you live totally yielded to the Spirit of Christ who lives in you. Every day is, is Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry of the King into someone's life. Again, we're the donkey, and I think that's a good place to be. You know, it's not up to us. We're not going to convert anybody. I hope you realize that the Spirit will as Christ lives through you. Let me pray. Father God, wow, it seemed like we went really fast. And we really need you to, to continue to speak this text to us today as we go throughout our, our own little personal Sabbath where we are reminded of your triumphal entry into Jerusalem and how you had a triumphal entry into our personal lives, bringing peace, peace between you and us for the first time. And it's permanent, it's not temporary, it's not a dream, it's not a vision, it's not just an angel that shows up, but it is a day-to-day -day abiding. And we're so thankful that you are transforming us. We ask for courage, like we prayed for strength, for the Christians in Nigeria. We pray for strength and boldness in our own lives. That when people shun us because of who we believe in, that we have been considered worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Father, we thank you uh, that we are the donkey. We're just the obedient servant trying to take you everywhere our foot trots. And on us is the Spirit of Christ. To some, it is the fragrance of life. And to others, it's the fragrance of death. Let us be bold this week. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.